Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing how you can read and better understand the Bible. Tune in daily to start your day right and be encouraged as you walk on the way and enjoy the journey. Now here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is special edition number three. Thank you for giving me time to be able to share with you truths from God's Word and truths that will transform our lives from where we are, many in discouragement, many disillusioned, many almost in depression because of the events of recent days. I want to encourage your heart and let you know that times have been bad before, they are bad now, and no doubt they will be in the future. But our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in heaven, where the Lord Jesus has promised he will come for us again. And until that time, he will give us all grace at the moment we need it. We're not given grace with what ifs and hypotheticals. We're not given grace if I don't know what I would do if this were to happen. I don't know what I would do if that were to happen. We do not get grace thinking about contemplating what could happen. We only have grace in the time of need. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews says to us, that we do not have a high priest who has passed into the heavens, who cannot be touched with the feelings, with our own feelings of weakness and infirmity and all that comes with this life. But we have someone who will be able to solace us and to help us, and we can go to him in the time of need. Not thinking about our time of need, but in our time of need that we will be able to have grace. God will give us what we do not have. God will give us what we do not deserve. God, in many instances, will withhold from us what we do deserve. That's the two-sided coin of grace and mercy. And all of a sudden, these are not pious platitudes. All of a sudden, this is real life. All of a sudden, it seems that we are being faced with our own mortality and the fact that our nation is not the nation that we always thought it was, that we too are vulnerable. Because you see, just like with a home, just like with a church, just like with a city or a county or a state, the same is true with a nation. A nation rises or falls with its leadership. Our nation chose a weak, inept person, for whatever reasons, we could write volumes on why America is in the place where it is. But the fact is, in the providence of God, God has allowed us to come to this place with the leader we have, I believe, to show us that we have another opportunity to turn to him. Well, what happens if we don't? What happens when wickedness is abounding, when there's injustice in the land? And the Bible has a definition for injustice. BLM and the Marxists do not get to tell us, unless we allow them to, what the definition of justice is, and especially social justice. God has already defined what that is. And we've done a poor job of justice in the land. We've not taken care of the poor. We have heaped upon ourselves 
through greed and the uh, want and desire that is never satisfied for more riches. We have neglected the poor, those who are truly poor in the land, those who are mentally and emotionally disturbed, those who are out on the streets who do not want to live in a place simply because they have skewed realities of what life is. And we have tried to push that off to one party or another. And in doing that, we have failed at taking care of the poor. Those who are truly poor by circumstance who simply cannot live in our present world. And all I'm saying to you is that there are many reasons for the judgment of God to come upon our nation. I think of not only injustice and the way that we've dealt with the poor, which got ancient Israel in trouble and would get any nation in trouble, but the immorality, the godlessness, starting from the leaders at the top all the way down to the lowest pauper in our land. We have not been what we need to be. And I'm talking about as a whole. I'm painting with a big brush. Don't take this personally unless the shoe fits, then wear it. But what I'm saying is the tenor of our country and the projection of our country is wickedness. We have forsaken and forgotten God. The Bible has a lot to say about wickedness. And whatever you say, I can tell you our land is caught up in filth and wickedness sex trafficking, sex slaves, and slavery and enslavement of children and of adults. We have abortion, the killing of the innocent out of convenience, and we're arguing over such trivial and ungodly things as critical race theory, and no fathers are in the home. We're getting sidetracked on secondary issues like guns are the perpetrators of evil instead of the hands that use them. All of this is a part of the ploy and methodia, the methods and the devices of our great arch enemy, Satan himself. He has rained down confusion upon America because we have turned from the true teachings of the Word of God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 9, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. That is a sobering statement. God's Word is true, and it's true every time and all the time. Now listen to me as I share my heart with you from the depths of my being. In 1975, I sat with my aged grandmother and we watched on a fuzzy black and white TV as people were lifted up into helicopters from our embassy in Saigon. And uh, Vietnam fell on April the 30th, 1975. And it left a haunting kind of feeling inside of me. And I didn't know at age 19 all the political ramifications of that and what it would mean for America's place and standing in the world. But I knew it couldn't be good because we had shed a lot of blood in Southeast Asia. I had watched young men that I'd watched play on the basketball courts in the grade schools and high schools of the area in East Tennessee where I grew up. And I watched them go off to war. I waved goodbye to them the day that they left because they were my friends and me and I had looked up to. They were just boys then. They were simply 18 and 19-year-old boys that were going to go off and fight in a distant land, and they would come back forever changed and marked for life. Some some of them would come back without the God-given foot that they left with or the arm or the eye because they left a part of them on the soil and in the seas 
of Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos, and all to say that it was a horrible time, and there was great melees in America at that time. It was a, it was an incredible decade of the 60s of rebellion and Marxists trying to get a foothold in our country, and indeed they did. And those who are at that time rebelling, they're now leading our nation in many regards. But that was only part. That was the beginning of sorrows. I can recall what led up to that and the weak vice president that followed Nixon, who all hailed as a great man until Watergate. But the reality is he opened up a door to China that has never been closed. And China has yet to reveal itself as the wicked empire that it is. So I can remember the sense of malaise, but it pales in comparison to what happened in 1979. My wife and I were in the Parsonage in Haywood, Oklahoma, and I remember watching on a little 13-inch black and white that only had rabbit ears. Some of you might not even know what that is, but it had a little antenna that would just get in the local stations, and I can remember watching as our embassy was overrun by godless, wicked men, Islamists, radical Islamists, who had deposed the Shah of Iran that our weak President Carter had turned his back on. And many of these dictators that we have dethroned over the years, we have found out that, yes, there was wickedness going on, but what they did, they jumped from the frying pan into the fire in embracing radical Islam. They listened to the lies and the deceit all of a sudden were caught up in a web that they couldn't get out of. I can remember watching as blindfolded hostages were brought out. I can remember the sense of helplessness, and we prayed to God, and I can remember how wonderful it was when our hostages were released. What a sense of new birth and a sense of our nation once again coming back. That happened when President Reagan became president because they knew it would be a different time. They knew that a man was elected who meant what he said and said what he meant, and he knew that he was willing to go to war to free our hostages. And because of that, because of the change in leadership from perceived weakness to perceived strength, all of a sudden the world looked at us different. And it was morning in America again. Yes, my voice is cracking simply because I remember still to this day the sense of relief that there may be hope for America again because the late 70s were horrible times. Karen and I got married and interest rates were in double digits and it was almost impossible to begin to plan a life because of the horrible, horrible misery index that was developed to try to measure how bad it was in America. Many in this present generation who have been born in the last 40 years have no concept of what has taken place in the past until now. I have that same feeling right now for America that I did when the hostages were taken. We let a brutal regime come in that we could have crushed in an instant. Not that we didn't have the military and the might to do it. We didn't have the will to do it. 
You see, even it seems when we tried to do something, I can remember the botched rescue attempt in the desert when eight servicemen died and not one hostage was rescued. It seemed like that everywhere we turned, everything we did, God was confounding us. I mean, it was, it was like supernatural. Nothing we could do was working. But I do believe that the God of heaven arranges these things and allows these things so his people will turn to him. The scripture again says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations, that is all the nations will be turned into hell. The word is goim. All of the ethnicities will be turned into hell that forget God. That word forget really has a better translation. It's the word oblivious. It's the concept of being unmindful, unconscious, unaware. You see, this is what has happened not only among the leadership of America and in the institutions of America that have tried to erase God from our existence and our national consciousness, but when you put continually God out of sight, it's not long till he's out of mind and you forget about who he is and that we're accountable to him. We've erased him from our public school curriculums. Teachers can't even talk about God anymore, the God of the Bible, the Judeo-Christian Christian God. We can't mention the name of Jesus anymore without being pounced on. They've tried to sandblast the verses that were placed on our monuments and to tear down the monuments that give any hint that we are a Judeo-Christian nation, or at least we were founded as such and upon the principles of such with great freedoms that those principles allow. We have turned our back on God, and yet it's convenient for the talking heads on our media and news channel, the moment something happens, they say, well, where is God in all of this? Well, why are we talking about God now? Because we've kicked God out of our classrooms. We've kicked God out of our government. We've kicked God out of our public institutions. And now we're blaming the God that we have shunned and kicked out. Oh, no, that's not the way it works. God is still there and God still is in control, but he's allowing this chaos You say, well, are we going to be turned into hell? Well, in one sense of the word, in one sense of the word, our nation is being turned into hell right now. All you have to do is go into certain sections of our major cities, especially uh, in Baltimore, in Chicago, in L.A., in New York. And there's entire sections in our uh, more liberal cities like Seattle and places in Minnesota. Uh, We've seen it on the TV where the police are even afraid to go. I have heard commentators said it's hell out here. Well, what do we expect? When we kick God out of our institutions, there's going to be hell in our institutions. When we kick God out of the home, there's going to be hell in the home. When we kick God out of our states and our cities, there's going to be hell in our states and our cities because the only prevention and escape from hell is to turn to God with everything that's within us. There is a chance once again for revival. There is a chance once again for a great awakening. You say, well, it's past all that. As long as we have breath, as long as God gives us life, we need to trust our life, our livelihood, our families, our children, our churches to the hand of a merciful and gracious God. 
And unless God tells me, as he did Jeremiah, don't pray for this place anymore, then I'm going to keep praying. God hasn't told me that yet. I'm going to continue to pray that God would clean up the mess in Washington, that God would reveal who it is that is behind all of this, and that those people will be brought to accountability. Now, understand they will be brought to accountability one day before God. They'll stand before a righteous and holy God. They may shut me up, and they may shut up all of us who stand for righteousness, but I can tell you they will not shut up the God of heaven. He will have the final say. And let me just encourage you, it's not the Supreme Court who is the supreme law of the land. Oh, they may be here, but there is a final judge that they will stand before and give an account. Don't think that President Biden or Vice President Kamala Harris, it almost makes me sick to say that because the same thing that happened when Nixon resigned, who was a wicked man, what did we get? We got Gerald Ford, who was weaker than he was. And that's the same thing that's about to happen in America. Our president is inept. He is not fit to lead the freest nation the world has ever seen. We do not have the will as a country anymore to do the right thing. We're so centered on our rights and what I have the right to do rather than doing the right thing. And that's what we are teaching our children, and we are sowing the wind, and we're going to reap a whirlwind. But there is hope. There is hope in God. There is hope in His Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that everyone who hears my voice will stop and pray to the God of heaven. Only He can rescue us. We do not need to go the way of wickedness. This nation can be turned around. You say, well, that would be a miracle. Well, God signs his name miracle. You say, well, that would take a supernatural intervention from God. Well, let's pray for a supernatural intervention from God. He's very capable of it. You say, well, I believe. Doesn't matter what you believe. Until God tells you to quit praying for this nation. And I see nowhere in Scripture where he will tell you that because he said that we are to pray as a way of life for those who are in authority and those who have power over us. And we pray that God will rescue us from the horrible hell that we are beginning to experience in America. I must tell you, this is the beginning of sorrows. It will get worse. Let me end with this. How should you and I live in this present generation? I would say we need to do three things. First of all, we need to pray. We need to pray like we've never prayed before and trust the God of heaven and his sovereignty. We need to ask him because of his namesake and for his namesake that he would revive America. Secondly, we need to preach. We need to open our mouths and not be so concerned about whether family and friends will like us or be good to us, but whether God will like us and whether God will be good to us as to whether God will be pleased with us. I want people to like me. I would treasure people thinking well of me. But the reality is when we speak the truth of God, many will not like us and we will find out who our real friends and true family are. So I'm saying to you, we need to open our mouths. We need to speak the truth at work, at school, wherever we are. We need to speak up. Because there is a, I believe, still a silent majority of people out there that are, even if they're not followers of Jesus, many times they still believe in the Judeo-Christian value system, even though they may not be able to articulate it. 
And if we speak up, people may not stand with us and we may have to stand alone. Well, that's okay, because just as with the Apostle Paul, the Lord Jesus will be with us and he will stand with us. And nothing's going to happen unto us until he says it's okay. And if he says it's okay, it's okay. So we need to, number one, pray. Secondly, we need to preach. And the third thing is we need to prepare. We need to prepare for the worst. We need to pray for the best and prepare for the worst. That's not a contradiction. The reality is we're living in a sinful nation. And so we need to prepare for days ahead that may be rough. And I'm not talking about going into survival mode. I'm talking about you need to have a plan of what would happen if the electricity went out because China is not ignorant of our the openness of our electric grid in America. You need to prepare in case no internet is available, no phones are available, you can't get into your bank account, how will you live? Because that could happen. And what we need to do is to help one another to prepare for the worst. And we need to care for one another and build strong relationships and networks that we can help one another in a time of trouble. Because persecution may come against the church of Jesus. If we continue down the path that we are without repentance, it will certainly come come and you need to prepare. Again, this is a clarion call for three things. You need to pray. You need to preach. You need to prepare. Pray to the God of heaven. Open your mouth and tell the truth. Love people enough to tell them the truth. And third, you need to prepare. You need to take care of your family. You need to build relationships with the church of Jesus. Connect yourself with others that believe like you do. Because you see, there's going to be more difficulty in this life. There's going to be tribulation in this life. But Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, crushing pressure that will be put upon you. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus is alive. I pray this will be a blessing to you and a clarion call to action as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in each weekday for more information on how to read the Bible, grow in knowledge, and live in obedience to God. If you have questions, simply write to info at TonyCrisp.org. That's info at Tony, C-R-I-S-P. Org, and we will respond as quickly as possible. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day as you walk on the way and enjoy the journey.